Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you have a TV, you must have a TV license. It's the law. Inspectors are calling to unlicensed homes and businesses. If you don't, that can mean prosecution and a fine of up to €1,000. Get yours at tvlicense.ie or any post office. Brought to you by the Government of Ireland. Now then, welcome to <laughs> welcome to the bloodandmud.com podcast. Yes. I am Lee Calvert, and you over are. there is... Uh, Josh Gardner, hi. Now, as you know now, Josh, we normally do a kind of review of the weekend's action, don't we? Well, you could call it that. We do some rugby stuff in between, going we, off on we, tangents about testicles and things. But um, that's what we tend to do. you do, yeah. Yeah, that's true. I'm not included. It's a royal we. We go into talking about that. Um, so, but what we're we doing this week? Because sometimes it was a Premiership Rugby Cup this weekend, wasn't it? And let's be honest, and, and some Pro 14 where most of the international players weren't there. Yeah, um, and it, it we could of course. Yeah, what's the point? We could of course spend the next hour kind of going frame by frame, looking at whether or not you know Peter Romani's arms are wrapped around. Or CJ Standard's arms are wrapped around something or something. Because that appears to be what the entirety of rugby Twitter is now. But we decided yes. against that. I, I wasn't a big fan of it in the first place, to be honest. No. So, yeah. We decided against that. And we're going to do something that we're going to be trotting out, a new format we'll be trotting, trotting out on occasion called a Rugby 7, where we pick seven things to remember and mm. talk about on a particular subject from way back or not so far back or basically not what's happened this weekend. Yes. When I mentioned this on Twitter today, which is Monday... Some mm-hmm. people thought I was talking about doing a preview. We're not. No. This is a kind of nostalgic look back at some of the things that we remember from the Autumn Internationals throughout the years. Why on earth would we do something where we try to predict the future, given our track record of predicting anything? We have significantly, significantly upset Glasgow and Edinburgh fans yes. after our enormous talking up last week, and then they lost. Yeah. So I don't want to remind anybody of that. I have just done it, but not in great detail, so... 
So, yeah, I mean, do you really want us to do that for the Scottish national side as well? Because I can. I well, we said they weren't going to get injured and somebody else got injured. I can't remember who it was now. Somebody's got injured. Yeah, all of a sudden there's an injury crisis when I, I think I said, usually they've got an injury crisis by this time of year, <laughs> forgetting yeah. that there was a fucking another week for all of the horrible things to happen. So really then, sorry. we have got the Ultimate International Rugby 7, and we might do this for different subjects moving on. Whenever we feel like we just can't be bothered doing the weekend's review again, quite honestly. with you. Um, you can get in touch with the pod. I'm Lee, and you can get mm-hmm. in touch with me, Lee at bloodandmud.com, or there's at Blood and Mud on Twitter, which is me. And what about you, Josh? Uh, at Josh Gardner, at Rugby Shirt Watch, rugbyshirtwatch.com, all that good stuff. And then we've also got the Patreon page. We have. Thank we you, all have. of you who contribute. For the first time in a little while, and I'm sorry I didn't mention this last week, I meant to, but it slipped my mind. We've had somebody join the Aleb Brew VIP suite. Oh, hello there. Because obviously you can pay your $2 and just get all the benefits and stuff, or you can pay mm. the Aleb Brew VIP suite, which is what Alex McLeish has done. In the last that couple one, of weeks, what the former Birmingham City manager? I don't. He wasn't. Is he Alec McLean? I don't know. But anyway, possibly. I don't know. He he didn't have a he didn't have an avatar of him okay, on, the, on his profile. So thank you, Alex, for joining the VIP suite. So you get a mention Indeed. on the pod because that's what you get for joining the the VIP suite. And also, of course, you're now a very close personal friend of ours. Absolutely. I mean, if I were having another wedding, he'd obviously be on the invite list now. Yes, if you went to go the Mooney route, but we don't plan to. So. um <laughs> Before we start, we start as we always usually start, which is with a player spotted. Martin Haslam DMs us. He says, dear Josh and Lee. Not always nice to be included. Yeah, because a lot of people just don't, yeah. Yeah. Or they say Lee and Josh. Not often they can put you up front. Obviously, you recognise as a... Alphabetically speaking, you know, it's correct. In this egalitarian workers' commune that is this pod. Um, (laughs) That's what... Anyway, so he says, Martin says, dear Josh and Lee, while trudging through the misery of EasyJet's baggage checking at Geneva Airport. I've been that soldier, Martin. I was there a year or so ago. I spotted the power couple of Welsh and Irish rugby. Here, guess who that is? Who's the, that's an interesting description then. Who's the power couple of Welsh and Irish rugby? Is it Simon Easterby and Sarah Elgan Easterby? Got it first, guess. Fucking get in there. Yes, so it's Sarah Elgan and Simon Easterby. He spotted some. I think they were returning from a group skiing holiday, says that would make sense. Sounds legit. I've met Sarah Elgin myself at BT, and it's actually, mm. I don't know if you've met her. She Ooh, is that. absolutely tiny. I can believe it. It's that, hard yeah. to describe how tiny. And she wears like big shoes, and she's still absolutely tiny. And I think her entire volume is about, mm. I'd say, 65% hair. Yeah. Her so hair is kind got, of 65% of a, of a, of a displacement. She's got a you know? lot of hair. Yeah. It's always the feathered and lethal. It is. Know? He says, anyway. Big Simon had caught the sun on his face in a pattern which suggested he'd been wearing sunglasses instead of goggles on the slopes. Oh, Simon. A, a good detail, though, Martin. Yeah. I mean, yeah, how closely were you? Well, this is the thing. He said this gave him the appearance of someone who had unsuccessfully tried to apply makeup to resemble a red panda. He said, as is often the case with check-ins, which explains why, he says the queue snaked back and forth, meaning we passed each other several times. Mm-hmm. Sarah seemed very bubbly and talkative with the rest of their group, while we had, he had a face like a bulldog chewing a wasp. <laughs> maybe he was grumpy because he knew their skis had to be checked in at a completely separate desk to the one that we were queuing at at that time. Oh, fucking hell. The queue for the desk with accepted bulky luggage was growing rapidly, but I was just moving slow as fuck, as it always does with those easy jet bastards. Oh, oh well. Once I mean, out yeah. of earshot of Sarah and Simon, I told my missus who the couple were, to which she responded, I thought he was too big and she was too glamorous for them to just be civilians. 
<laughs> he says, I hope this is mundane enough for you. It's magnificent, Martin. That's a very it good submission. Mundane. Thank you very much. I love the idea that you can be too tall to be a, uh, a civilian or too big yeah. to you're be an ordinary person. You're just too massive to be a human and being. Especially if you're with yeah. someone glamorous. If you double up on that, then you've had it, haven't you? Yeah. So then that's us. We're not doing Clubhouse this week either. Sorry to ruin everybody's time, but you know we've got a lot to get through no, when we remember we've got a lot shit. To get through. We've got seven things. <laughs> seven seven whole things so and usually we only do like two or three so you know what we're we supposed to do like no five. guarantee it won't end up being that today either so you know yeah exactly and so one then, of my things is technically two things so you know that is true yeah yeah <laughs> can't even i can't even stick to my own fucking plan now first of all we stress this is not meant to be a definitive list of things oh god no this is just some stuff that we wanted to chat about and in a way i suppose it's the beginning of a discussion you may want to pick this up on twitter or whatever and say well, well you know, I remember that, or why didn't you include that, or all that kind of stuff. Yeah, well, it's just it's just kind of a things that we are, that have kind of it's the autumn internationals. It's yeah, it's occasionally quite shit. Let's be honest, but occasionally there's some really fun good games there. Yeah. And do you yeah. do, do you want to talk about Neil Francis and Colin Copernic for we for for we? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, we don't because we've got a lot to get through, and that could be. We have got a lot to get through. Let's not go there. Just Neil, absolutely. Stop Hideous. Just, just quit. Stop writing. Quit journalism, mate. It's not for you. What I will anyway. say is, I'll ask you the, <laughs> this yes. one thing. You're an editor, right? Yes. How did that get past any editor at any that thing was ever? One of the, when I was into probably the 400th word of his rambling opening where he was sort of putting the Rodney King situation and the LA riots alongside him stalling his car in Cork on the same night that they broke out. <laughs> when he got into about the third or fourth hundred word of that, as much as I was obviously incensed by the inherent offensiveness of everything, the editor in me did go, this should have been like a 50-worder. Yeah, tops. it's very odd, isn't it? At no point. He can't have been edited. He must just file it directly into the... And You know, like we like to do WordPress, yeah. just straight into yeah, that. Yeah, he files it straight to see, but still, there should be an editor going... That's particularly a newspaper editor should be going, no fucking <laughs> way. Red pen everywhere. Anyway. Right. Yeah, so yeah, we're not, that's all we're going to say on that. No, yes. Uh, read it and weep, literally. Um, yeah. Right then, so let's talk about Rugby 7. We've got seven in no particular order. Um, I'm yes. going to start with number one of the seven. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take you back to the 18th of November in the year of our Lord 2000. The, yes. world, has, the world has not ended. We've really? all survived the Millennium Bug and all that stuff. Oh, God for that. that Argentinian goalkeeper who decided to end his professional career because the world was going to end looked a bit daft, bit of egg on his face <laughs> by this point. I'm not entirely convinced that the world shouldn't have ended in 2000, <laughs> by the way. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so what happened on the 8th of November, 8th of November 2000? It was England 22, Australia 19. Mm. Now, what's most memorable about this game is the it was a last-minute try. Well, it wasn't even last minute. It was deep into injury time try yes. where uh, Ian Bolshaw chipped the ball on having come off the bench. Dan Luger sprints through, touches it down. Well, it seemed like... A, and also then there was a long TMO deliberation. It seemed like a long well, TMO. It was the first time a TMO was used at Twickenham, which, of course, was a right? I did not for know everyone that. concerned. And it seemed oh. like a long time at the time, but looking back, it was a lot of brevity with that TMO. <laughs> he, he saw it out pretty quickly. Exactly. Compared like, to people, modern times. But people thought, was that like the best thing that both Dan Luger and Ian Balshaw ever did in an England shirt? Yeah, and what's this is why this is an interesting game, because one... 
it wasn't a vintage England performance at all. And you have Ooh. to remember at this point that England had been unceremoniously dumped out of the 1999 World Cup yeah. by the Yanni de Beer drop goal roadshow. Classic stuff. Um, and this was part of the kind of rebuilding that would eventually lead to that incredibly dominant 2001-2002 period. Yeah, because people talk about like the Tour of Hell being the thing that sort of galvanised Woodward's England. And, you know, obviously it was important, massively so. But this win might have been, like, it certainly sort of, it kick-started them on a curve that obviously ultimately climaxed at, at the World Cup in 2003. And arguably like, they, were, they were coming down from the curb, curve in 2003. Yeah. They were absolutely incredible, to, to borrow hyperbole, word they were incredible around about the end of 2002 which is not yeah, that far true, ahead of this and there's something about because this was a decent australia side england weren't exactly I mean, they were doing all right in the six nations at this point but they, well, they hadn't beaten australia in the professional era at this point that is they? true yeah and it was such yeah. a such a big thing in terms of belief and it was a great performance interestingly when you look at the teams one thing I find that's interesting about this is when you look at the teams, is how it's shaping towards that 2003, that 2002 well, yeah. team. And then, the, and, play, the players who were on the field at the end. Yeah, and the, and, the, and who comes, who stays and who goes. Matt Perry, who was playing fullback oh, yeah. for England, who looked nailed on to be England's fullback. <laughs> for, and he did, genuinely, good yeah. player, you know, looked nailed on to be still relatively young at that point. And, and it wasn't, and by the time you get to 2002, a young lad called Jason Robinson's turned up and Josh Lusey's in the team and stuff like yeah. that. So it becomes a different thing altogether. So yeah, if you look at the England team that played that day, you got Matt Perry, Austin Healy on the wing, mm-hmm. who obviously kind of made way, Mike Tindall in the, who stayed around, Mike Catt, who stayed in the squad for the, for the World Cup. Yeah. Dan Luger, I just said, who, who had this fleeting season of him. Dan, Dan Luger, I forget Dan Luger ever existed, I would say, roughly on average about every six months. And then I have to be reminded <laughs> that Dan Luger existed. And I go, oh, yeah, Dan Luger, I remember. And then he's gone again. Well, with, with Ben Cohen kind of came in, didn't he? And, yes, and he Lucy did, and yeah. Cohen came in and sort of took the wing spots a bit later on. Uh, Johnny Wilkinson's there, obviously, because he's been there since, as you mentioned, the Tour of Hell. Kieran mm. Bracken's still knocking round yeah. at this stage. Matt Dawson goes off the bench, interestingly. Matt Dawson was off, and that, and that was the thing. That the people at the end, you know, the people who got on the field, the Dawson, Tyndall, Wilkinson, back, Delalio, Hill, Johnson. It's the making of that team, isn't it? Mm. The bedrock is there. And yeah, interestingly, some... Greening's still in there, but he gets slowly moved out. Doesn't yeah, he? and Phil and Green. Gre- and Greenwood's on the bench. Greenwood is on the bench. He's obviously going to eventually make that. But I thought it was really interesting that, like, the way that they won, because, like you said, they weren't very good. No. That day, I was playing won. that day, and I remember walking into the clubhouse in Cardiff and everybody laughing their tits off <laughs> as me and the other English lads walked in. And, and then, obviously, not laughing so much a few you know, five or ten minutes later. But, yeah, it was... Uh... Yeah. You look at everything that they did wrong in that game as they sort of tried their best to fucking lose it and then eventually pulled it back from the brink. It's like... They were profligate with their chances. They didn't take their points. Wilkinson was missing drop goals. And then there's kind of a weird synergy to like, those are all of the things that they managed to do very well three years later against Australia. And it's sort of this weird kind of, yeah, this weird kind of beginning and end of a thing that by the time they come out the other side, they'd learned the lessons that they learned in this game and they didn't make those mistakes again, I guess. 
Yes, and if you see that team, Perry, Healy, Tyndall, Bath, Luger, Wilkinson, Bracken, starting team, Leonard, mm-hmm. Greening, Vickery, Johnson, Grucock, Hill, back to Lalio, standard. That's there. Yeah. Um, and then you <laughs> look at the England team in 2002, which is when they were starting to, you know, really mm. beat, ev- well, they did beat everybody home and away in 2002, yeah. pretty much. And by then you've got Jason Robinson, James Simpson Daniels on the on, on the wing, but then it would have been Josh Lucy, ultimately. Will Greenwood and Mike Tindall and Ben Cohen, that's nailed on. Dawson and Wilkinson, nailed on. Yeah. Um, and then you go Trevor Woodman, Steve Thompson, who who appear who comes course, in. Yeah. Roller skating champion of England or whatever <laughs> he was, whatever he came over. <laughs> Phil Vic so yeah, um Vickery Thompson Woodman, Grucock and Johnson, Ben Kay's on the bench in two thousand and two, but will ultimately get the the starting start, and then of course you of course, got yeah. Hill, Delalio back, Lewis Moody. He was always hanging around, yeah, at that point as well. So they were kind of nearly there, and there was something about this win, I think, that made Woodward probably look and go, "The core of it's here. I just yeah, need to bring a few extra bits in. I need to, I need to I go need sign to. Jason Robinson." Yeah, <laughs> and I guess that's the thing. You look at the way that they attacked in this game, and it was obvious that you know they had a core in the forwards. They had a core that. And they had a fly off, and they had, you know, they had the pieces there, but they needed some X factor. They needed somebody to do what Ian Bullshaw did, i.e., something unexpected and creative. Then get injured, but, probably. Well, yeah, but with more consistency <laughs> and a bit more quality. Yes. And less of a sort of 1950s field hospital attendant vibe about him. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so, so yeah. that was. Number one, which is England 22, Australia 19. The Australia team that day, for those of you who are interested, was Chris Latham, Matt Burke, Daniel Herbert, Sterling Mortlock, Joe Roth, Kafer. Accordingly, at Scrum Half, who I don't really have much of a memory of. No, I don't know who he was. Played for Queensland. To be honest with you. Uh, Young, Foley, Dyson, John Eels, David Giffen, Williams, George Smith, and Tutai Kefu. This was not the game he played inside centre. He randomly played inside <laughs> centre for Australia yes. once, didn't yeah. he? That was all a bit Mirka Bergamasco there, wasn't it? It was all a bit, yeah. Was it Mara Bergamasco? Yeah, I quite like yeah. to play centre. Well, all right then, just so we can all prove right, that you can't on, ever do yeah. it ever again. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> so that's England's sort of start on the road to, I suppose, maybe a year later, two years of domination. Luckily, yeah. that's continued. There's been no problem since then, as we'll discover no, in some of the other games that we decide to cover later. Swimmingly well. <laughs> right, number um, two. Yes. Is yes. we'll move forward a few years. Wales 20, 2005, November two thousand and five. Wales twenty four, Australia twenty two. Yeah, I mean it's weird to me that no Wales beat like, Australia. Is that weird well, to you? Yeah, but it's weird that Wales beat Australia. It was the first time that Wales has beaten Australia since nineteen eighty seven, hmm. and zero highlights exist for this online. That's really odd, isn't it? Like, also... Even not, like, one of the tries or anything. There's nothing, is there? Well, yeah. It was their first win over a big Southern Hemisphere team since 99, when they beat South Africa. It was one of Shane Williams' best ever tries. I mean, Wales were playing in black for no appreciable reason. What is not to love? Um, (laughs) The game game also featured uh, that most rare of Curate's eggs, which was a Wales penalty try, as a result of relentless scrum pressure. Um... (laughs) To be honest with you, that might, that might be the last time we actually did that against. Oh, top that level was some opposition. kind of fever dream that the nation well, yeah. has suddenly taken. It's what's, like what's, folk what's, memory. 
<laughs> What's even more remarkable? The front row that day who won that penalty, right? Yeah. Duncan Jones. <laughs> yeah, it was, yeah. Thomas Reese Thomas. T. Reese Thomas, yeah. And Chris Horseman. Chris Horseman. He must have been about 35 then, was he? Chris yeah, Horseman. well, he basically did that ridiculous thing where he never actually played in Wales or for a Welsh team, but bought a house just over the border when he played in Worcester so he could fucking earn his residency <laughs> qualification, <laughs> which is the most shitty way to That's earn a residency really qualification. Shit, isn't it? I really never liked Chris Horseman, to be honest with you. So this is, of course, the beginning of the, well, sort of the beginning of the Ruddock era, isn't it? Well, it's pre, it's post-Grand Slam. So Wales have won the Grand Slam. Of course it is, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Wales have won the Grand Slam in five. And then they obviously got massively overlooked on the Lions tour to everybody in Wales' annoyance. Um, And then they went into the autumn missing, what, seven of their Lions, got battered by New Zealand, got battered by South Africa. Um, And then in between needing a last second, Nicky Robinson dropped gold to sneak past Fiji. I was there that night. It was a hateful, hateful (laughs) day. Um, And people were questioning... If Nothing says quality like needed a Nicky Robinson drop goal to beat <laughs> sure. Fiji at home so, in yes, the winter, it 11, does it? 11 to 9 or something like that. It was fucking dreadful. Um, yeah, and people were sort of questioning, after Wales had obviously won Grand Slam in such style, whether they were a flash in the pan. And of course, they were. Um, it was built Grand on Slam. sand was the word yeah, that a lot the, of people used, yeah. Yeah, the Grand Slam was a perfect storm that would never be repeated. But for that one glorious afternoon... Wales looked like a Grand Slam winning Wales team again. Like twenty four twenty two doesn't look like a classic, but it was it was a good game, like a really good game. Both like that Australian team under Eddie Jones had like Lottie Takiri, Matt Rogers, Drew Mitchell, Chris Latham. They were mm-hmm. a good side. Um, they Gregan, had fucking, Phil Wall. Yeah, they had a fucking dreadful scrum though, which is why we got that penalty try. Uh, they had fucking Matt Dunning starting for God's sake. Um, <laughs> the donut boy. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but that moment, the glorious live forever moment that it doesn't exist anywhere online and only exists in the memories of the people who were there or fucking watched it. Second half, Australia spilled... I can remember this like it was fucking yesterday. Australia build, spilled the ball in the Wales 22. Gareth Cooper picks it up, remember him. Um, Pacey. Ships it, ships it out to Gareth Thomas, who passes it out to Shane on the wing, who chips over the top of the Aussie defence into their half, gathered up by Alfie, who instantly passes it back to Shane, who fucking burns up the wing, uh, skips over a lunging ankle tap from Lottie Takiri and runs in under the post. And it was magnificent. It might have been the best try he ever scored that wasn't that one against New Zealand in 2003. <laughs> and this time we actually won. Um, a remember, small, perfectly formed T has just rolled down Josh's cheek as he, as he, as he recalled re- re- that try. I remember I was in a pub uh, in Cardiff called The End, at the bottom of Coburn Street in Gatays, which doesn't exist anymore, I'm pretty sure. Um, I remember they used to do a barbecue chicken baguette and chips for £1.50, so I went there quite a lot when I was a student. Not bad. And tell you what, fucking crap, they were terrible. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that place went absolutely insane. And like it felt like Wales had vindicated themselves, and they proved they weren't a flash in the pan. And of course, that was the last good moment under Mike Ruddock because of this fucking wonderful ramshackle irresistible team that they had because the next time they took the field it was England at Twickenham and 47-13 and then it was making hard work of 14-man Scotland a week later and then it was Ruddockgate and then everything ended so this was like the last glorious perfect brilliant moment of Mike Ruddock's wonderful fucking improbable 
entirely nonsensical. Do you remember that wonderful moment words? after the Grand Slam win when when he um, Gravel got hold of him on the touchline after the winning game against Ireland, wasn't it? And uh, Gravel puts his arm around his shoulder and he said, "Thank you, thank you so much, Mike." And he's like, I grabs tears running down his face. So thank you for everything that you've done. And he said, he said I, "Well, his big head cans on because he's working for S Four C." I don't, I don't remember that because I was too busy wandering around Cardiff, sort of pissed and sort of crying, walking around. <laughs> by you were all Ray Gravel that day, I think. Walking, walking through Butte Park, trying to get back, not trying to find my way to a train station, but too busy just hugging random strangers. <laughs> Oh, glorious. that's the glorious thing about sporting moments like that, isn't it? Amazing. Absolutely that amazing. My, one of the greatest days. So, so yeah, that was the, it stuck out to me because it's so underreported and it's so underremembered that we had this incredible game that was like the final glorious moment of Mike Ruddock's Wales, and it doesn't exist anywhere. It might as well have been airbrushed from history. It's mad. Here's a game that I think we should play as we go through this. Yeah. Let's go through the team and do the would you rather have them in the team now than oh, who's, okay. who's in there okay. now. Okay. So Into if it. I was to do England in 2000, and, in 2000 Matt yes. Perry, yes, yes, I would rather have Matt Perry than Mike Brown. Yes. Austin Healy. If you're going for a full England, would I want Austin Healy above Elliot Daly on the wing, above Elliot Daly or, or Anthony Watson or, or Johnny May or... Chris Ashton, definitely not Chris Ashton. No. Mike Tyndall. Mike Tyndall, as he played then, yes. Yes. Mike Cat at 12, yes. Oh, yes. God, yes. <laughs> Dan Luger, no. Mm. Uh, Johnny Wilkinson, yes. Even though, you know, there's some... Is, yeah, I mean, final decent joke. Bracken, yes. Yeah. yeah like, compared to Danny Kerr... Or Ben Young. Or Ben Young, yes, I'd have Kieran Bracken. Yeah, this is a starting Bracken. team, by the way. Jason yeah. Leonard, yes, yeah, since we've... Yeah, well, you know, Mako's pretty good I, in a modern game, mobile, Mac, carrier. Yeah. He wasn't a carrier, was he, Jason? Jason no. basically just made his entire career from just standing still and being the strongest man in Europe. That was basically... <laughs> and having great technique. Could play both sides of the scrum as well. Yeah. He owned a really shit uh, sports shop in... Um, for like... You know, like how... I thought he was a carpenter. Was that, that's where he started, sp- wasn't it? You know how sports shops used to exist... Oh like, yeah, were like, there's still a few like... of them. It's like foresters in mould and things like that. Yeah, <laughs> they sell you know, school uniform. That's how they stay afloat. Do you know how like he used to, like you know how there used to be like really shit shops that were like sort of yeah they'd have like a few fucking Nike or Adidas t-shirts and a couple. You of could always get a Caracal racket grip for your badminton. <laughs> exactly. Racket, he owned a sports shop that was in an old non-conformist chapel in Longwell Green for about three years. Where's Longwell I, I, Green? Uh, it's, just, it's where I live in Bristol, on the, <laughs> right. just outside of Bristol. Jason and Leonard owned... Hang on, let me unpack it. He owned a sports shop in an old reformist church in Bristol. It was either he owned it or somebody who was very matey with owned it because they always used to have signs up for Jason Leonard rugby camps all the time. And it's like, this ah, right, is too okay. weird a coincidence thing. Yeah, because yeah, he, be... he plays in London. Yeah, it it made no sense whatsoever. So that, anyway, that was a, anyway, a random... A really Jason Leonard, I'd have him in the squad, I think. Absolutely. I don't I don't know if I'd have him ahead of make him, I'll be honest. No, but I'm in a squad, I think. Phil Greening, yeah. no, probably not. No. Phil Vickery. Well, over who? Would you, would you have him over Hartley? No. No. <laughs> he was a hooker of a type that, no. 
doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, Vickery, yes, probably. Yeah. At tight head, yeah. Uh, 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 Martin Johnson, yes. Danny yeah. Gukok, yeah, just for the laugh of it. <laughs> Hillback and Delalio. Yes, Hill and yes, back, yes. absolutely yes. Would I get ahead of Billy, Billy Vidapola if fit? I mean, he's a hell of a lot more fucking... I wouldn't be upset if I had to put him in. No. Put it that fine. way. Anyway, that was that. So let's do the Wales team in 2005 and yes. see, would you have them in now? Fullback. Yeah, we were missing seven Lions at this point. Fair enough, but let's on. just yeah, do yeah. it anyway. Fullback, yeah. Gareth Thomas. <laughs> I don't know, see. Will I have him ahead of Lee Halfpenny? Or Liam, or Liam Williams? Williams? I don't think I would. As great as Alfie was, right. I don't think I would. All right, okay. David James? No. Because he would, he'd be looking, at the minute, it'd be Josh Adams or George, wouldn't it? Yeah, I wouldn't have him ahead of George North. Or, or Liam Williams? I wouldn't have him ahead of Liam Williams either. Sorry, Dav. <laughs> yeah, loads of points and all that, but sorry. Big, big old lad. But, I mean, yeah. this guy's definitely going in, Matthew Watkins. <laughs> Matthew J. Watkins. Matthew J. Watkins or John Davis. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you're all right. Sonny Parker. No. Underrated Sonny. Sonny Parker, I think. I love Underrated, Sonny Parker. but yeah. Fantastic servant for the Ospreys and for Wales. Shane, um, yes. Yes, yeah. <laughs> hundred thousand times, yeah. Whoever. In any yes. position he wants to play in, yeah. yeah absolutely. Stephen Jones. Yeah. Ahead of Dan, but I, I, I think well, so. I 2005 Stephen Jones, I think so. 2005 Wellies was absolutely, like, the, we'll talk about it later. But yeah. yes, Stephen Jones, entirely capable of being excellent. Gareth Cooper. No. Well, you've already got Gareth Davis. What do you want Gareth Cooper for? He's like, the same, like a facsimile of the same player, basically. Chopsy, <laughs> rapid bloke without a brain with another one. <laughs> He's looking a bit better, Gareth Davis. He is, actually. We've already done the front row, but the answer's probably no. Uh, yeah, Duncan no, Jones, Thomas Reese Thomas, so good they I, named him twice. And, uh, I love Duncan Jones with a passion, but no. Ian Goff, interesting. Would you fancy oh. Ian Goff? Ahead of Brad Davis or Corey Hill? Or Corey Hill or, or Jake Ball? Or obviously, yeah, because obviously Alan Wynn's this, obviously this sticking point, in there, Jake, isn't he? At this point, Ian Goff, no, I wouldn't. Ian Goff a few years later under Warren Gatton. Yes. True, yeah. Robert Sadoli. <laughs> no, I think I'll take Adam and Jones. Yeah, I did fair off. Jarvis over what would Moriarty, I suppose, now, wouldn't it? Uh, I might take Colin think, Jarvis. Yeah, yeah, I think I would. Martin Williams over the 507s you can choose from. Um, For the modern game, probably not, but mm. I'll take Martin Williams any day of the week. Michael Mispass Owen. Eight over to <laughs> over Taolupe. I'll tell you what, a phenomenal footballer, <laughs> a one a wonderful passer of the ball. Oh no, <laughs> but Falatau is all of those things and a proper eight. Um, I would, I once sat next to Michael Owen on an economy flight to Florida. In I can beat that. I played against Michael Owen in a charity really? sevens match. Yeah, wow. Was he fucking all over the place? Brilliant. He played every every bank holiday. My rugby club, Cardiff Harlequins, would have a Cardiff Institute for the Blind Sevens charity tournament, which was the Gareth Edwards tournament. And Gareth would turn up and sit with somebody on the tight line doing a bit of commentary. It rained every year for about four years. And because it was a charity well, event, I was working great. for Legal in General. This is the same year I played with Gethin Jones because he was temping at Legal in General. It's a superstar <laughs> year. So yeah. me and Gethin were on the same team for. Um, 
legal in general, because they paid like five grand to enter a team or whatever. And then the other team, it was called, I can't remember what they were called, but they were all Ponty players, basically. So Gareth, like, had a, he had a sponsored Vauxhall Corsa or Nissan Micra or something with his name down the side. And we played and we got absolutely fucking battered. And I'm pretty sure they were just walking. You know, they weren't even, like, attempting to run properly. Uh, yeah, anyway, so there you go, 2005, anyway. as you said, and then... I'm sure we'll do an episode on the Rudikira and try and unpick it one day. But um, I think we can have to one day, just because it's probably cheaper than therapy for me. But, um... <laughs> right, what else have we got? Yeah, so moving on to number three. Now, this is a bit of a cheat, really, because it's three games in one, but I just had to go with it because it's a bit of a laugh. Well, well, I say a laugh. It's kind of, I don't know, like, yeah, a bit like therapy, like you just said, I suppose. <laughs> England's 2009 horror show is number See, three. you call this a horror show? Yes, I do. You call this a nightmare? You lost two and won one while playing terribly and having loads of injuries. That's what we Welsh people call a standard fucking November. <laughs> so yeah, so we lost eighteen yes. nine to Australia, scoring no yeah. tries. We, we this was <laughs> these two games, of course, were the infamous glorious days of Hugo Monier and fullback, fullback for two games. <laughs> the absolute like Hugo Monier under the high ball at fullback against Argentina on a loop forever, please. Just every one of them. He couldn't even catch the ball. It was passed to him, never mind kicked in the air. <laughs> the best part was when the first time that he actually manages to take a high ball, which I don't even think was enough. I think it was like a missed drop goal and he got it and there were ironic cheers. And then he passes it to Shane Garrity and Shane Garrity spanks it out on the full. Yeah. <laughs> and he did catch one of them against Argentina, and he ran it in into contact and spewed it forwards out of the first tackle that he hit. It was, I mean, what was funny is his expression never really changed. He, had to, no. had to, had to, he was always trying to like centre himself and get a bit zen, and none of it was working whatsoever. I mean, that let's go, let's, let's unpack this. Like there were thirty players missing. Yes, from Martin Johnson. Well, the funny thing was, I remember Martin Johnson was really enthusiastic about how it would show what great squad depth they had. Um, and this squad included Richard Blaze, a player that I swear to God... The Argentina never, game. The Argentina the, one, the, yeah. The, the actual squad, yeah, yeah. In my life. He might as well just have never existed. And like, I know most rugby players. I can't remember Richard Certainly Blaise. at test level. I can't remember I him. cannot remember I, quite, I could might, not remember him, yeah, what I love They him. might as well have made him up. <laughs> <laughs> he's like Blade Thompson. I mean, he's, he sounds he's not like, real, but yeah, he, he sounds, is real, but he sounds like he shouldn't be. He sounds like he should be pretend. I'm not entirely convinced that he isn't pretend. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, so the Argentina game, it was, sorry, the Australia game was, I'm just going to run this through, through this quickly. Monye, Mark Coetto, Dan Hipkiss at 13, Shane Geraghty, Matt Banahan. What was funny is if you look at one of the videos of this on, on YouTube, somebody underneath has put Matt Banahan should have had a much longer England career than he did. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, again, on you know, all, all respect to him, but come on. On evidence that he's a nice guy and he's a big lad. Yes, but like, you can't have an international winger who takes 150 metres to get up to about third of his top speed. <laughs> uh, yeah, so Banahan, yeah. Johnny Wilkinson, Danny Kerr, you forget how long these people have been around, don't you? Danny no. Kerr. Tim Payne, God, do you remember him? Fuck me. He was absolutely <laughs> dreadful. Sure, he was a nice fella and all that, but... Uh, Steve Thompson uh, at hooker. Dave yeah. Wilson, he constantly looked like a shagged-out bad puss. Because like two he minutes fucking of... absolutely was. He was like, this, I am not set up for endurance <laughs> rugby at all. Louis Deacon, who was so mediocre, it was just... 
to call him a pound shop, Jono, would just be doing him a disservice, to be honest. It was, <laughs> he wasn't very good. Was oh, he? Steve, this was the Steve Borthwick captain period where everything was it brilliant was. after games. Yeah. And he yeah. got really pissed off if you suggested <laughs> that it wasn't. Tom Croft at six. Yeah. Obviously just timing his run into whatever. Yeah, just whatever in time for a, for a Lions tour. Yeah. <laughs> Lewis Moody still there. Jordan Crane at eight. Jordan Crane still, at eight. Still go, look at these the players that are still going. We're like nine years hence, or nearly ten years hence. And also, you yeah, know, Cody Laws is on the bench going? for this game. Yes. Can you, I, I had no idea he'd been around that long. I couldn't remember. Dylan Hartley's on the bench as well. Tell you else and then the, bench. the creeping spectre on the bench at number 22 <laughs> are waiting to pounce. <laughs> oh, I thought you were talking about James Haskell. Oh, no, he's always no. been there, hasn't he? No, the creeping spectre on the bench waiting to pounce oh, yes. for Halloween <laughs> kids. Don't be too frightened. There's a Eula or Inlay. <laughs> Don't have nightmares. Um, yeah, so that's the and obviously, it we didn't score a try, we looked absolutely diabolical, and Australia won fairly easily. I mean, yeah, yeah, it was an injured team, but even you so- look at that Australia team though. It's like Adam Ashley Cooper, Digby Iwane, Quade Cooper, <laughs> Drew Mitchell, Matt Gitter, Will Genia, yeah. George Smith, Rocky Elson, Wycliffe Palo, James Horwell, Mark Chisholm, Stephen Moore. Yeah, with Pilotta now fucking Pocock on Pocock, the bench, Pocock Mum, James O'Connor, and Luke Burgess. Like, it's not bad, is it? Like no. the fact that they didn't absolutely... And I remember I remember when Shane Geraghty came through and I so wanted him to be good. I cannot tell you, listeners, how much I wanted Shane Geraghty to be good. Because it's like, oh. yes, we've got a 12 again. And he just was so ill-suited to this, to this level of competition. had the look of a prick about him from day one. <laughs> and I just thought... And it wasn't so much that for me. He was just shit. I, just looked at, I took one look at him and I just thought... You look like a bit of a prick, mate. So we then from win that, it. Go on. I just, from that moment, I was just like, it's never going to work. We then win against Argentina. And again, I mean. In one of the worst games. An horrendous game. I've ever played. And I think the majority of this Argentina team were still amateurs. Uh, yeah, four members of the squad were amateurs. And by the way that you played in the first half, so were all of your squad. Um, <laughs> they, they were, it was almost heroically inept in that first half, I remember. All, of course, all done in glorious regal purple. John, um, it, it, Johnson had taken a look at the um, Australian performance and said, I know what I need to solve this. It's Paul Hodgson at Scrum Half. <laughs> that, that's what's going to solve this problem. So he comes in and everything else oh, largely remains the same. Duncan Bell comes in, bless him, at, at tight end. And then we've already talked about the Monia Horish. Honestly, if you don't, Adam Reese actually shared it as well when he was in responding to a tweet that we did. If you haven't seen it, please look up um, Argentina versus or Hugo Monia full, fullback Argentina on YouTube. It is glorious in its crazy ineptitude. We did then, he really make it on in any of the games? Because he didn't make it on against Argentina or no, against well, he, yeah, that's the thing. He's the creeping spectre because then against New Zealand, he's unleashed into the starting of fifteen. He is, yeah. Garrity gets flirted, so you go from this sort of dancing Will of the West blonde thing into Fuck this you. massive, <laughs> massive unit who doesn't really know what to do with a rugby ball. <laughs> oh, I mean, it's, so it, it it's is worth telling again this backline. Now, the New funny. Zealand backline. Which wasn't yeah. exactly, I don't think, the starting lineup at this point, not or not completely, but near enough. Mm. Is from Scrum Half, Jimmy Cowan. God, do you remember him? 
Yeah. Jimmy Cowan, Dan Carter, Sitivani Sivivatu, Mar Nonu, Conrad Smith, Zach Guildford, Mills Muliaina. That's their back line. Not bad. Here's England's back line. Paul Hodgson. <laughs> Not a strong start. Johnny Wilkinson. <laughs> Ugo Monnier back on the wing. Ayula Rinley. Yeah. Dan Hipkiss. Matt yeah. Banahan. Mark Queto at fullback. He actually play, He's one of. He actually comes out of this series all right. Mark the final game, you were actually all right. Like New Zealand were very bad that day, but it wasn't like humiliating. Like you want humiliating autumn results. Would you like to lose at home to Samoa? I can give you one of those or Fiji. <laughs> but you know, it was yeah. You know, it was a bad autumn. You played some truly terrible rugby. You did you actually score a try aside from that Banahan one? Banahan try the only try you scored. We scored a t- no tries against New Zealand, no tries against Australia, a try against Argentina, which I mean, was a disgrace, not, really. It's not great, is it? It's I honest know. to God. I mean, and I'm sorry, England fans, to go back there, but I think it's sometimes it's it's helpful to go back there. One, it's helpful to cause... understand the folly of appointing somebody never coached before and fucking loved Leicester, obviously, into in, <laughs> into into your thing, but also to look at no matter how kind of upset we might get now. Yes. It's not that, is it's, it's not, not this, is it? It's not as bad as this, no. And it's, you look at the sort of meeting of coaching minds, <laughs> Martin Johnson versus Graham Henry, it's a bit fucking different, isn't it? <laughs> oh. oh, yeah, oh, it's just so. so bad. So, yeah, again, go and look all that up and relive the wonder that was England's 2009 Autumn Internationals. <laughs> Heading oh. forward to the glory of World Cup 2011, of course. Obviously. Still got, further than, still got further than 2015. There you go. Than in 2015. Number four mm. in our seven, pick of seven, is mm. Ireland versus New Zealand in 2013. I mean, Some fucking not game gonna, this, wasn't it? Fucking, oh, I mean, the what a game. Mistake, the biggest mistake that Ireland made here was getting out to a 19-0 lead far, far too quickly. It was after like 20, last, 24 minutes, was it? They were 19 nil minutes, yeah. The last fucking thing you want to do with the All Blacks is give them a mountain to climb and then provide them with a full set of fucking ropes and crampons with which to mount their ascent, which is effectively what you do when you say 19.60 minutes, crack on, lads. And But oh, Conor Murray in this game, unbelievable. Like he was in Chicago, actually. Honourable mention yeah, to Chicago. Like, I'm, I'm yeah, sorry to talk was... about when you lost Ireland, because you, no doubt Irish listeners are going, well, why can't you mention the game that we won? Well, because this is more interesting, frankly. And this was a but better game. It was be a better honest, game. Yeah. Like, and also, like, we're not, you know, we're not just talking about the best games, because that'd be fucking boring. We're trying to talk about the, the games and the things that have some semblance of a story attached to them. And for me, this was a game where Conor Murray, in particular, he ascended to that level where he's sort of been since like and the Ireland squad like, generally as well because yeah. because Ireland had looked since then they've looked the most likely and have yeah. been and literally yeah, have I'm, been and beaten yeah, them they, they, um, yeah. the, despite the fact you've got to remember in 2013 they'd had a, they'd had a completely shit out Six Nations Ireland yeah. pretty much they'd had a pretty minging tour of the USA and Canada in the summer where they'd won but it was entirely unconvincing yeah I mean not, not first choices and all that this was out of fucking nowhere. And then they went. They don't win this, but they go very close to winning this. And then, of course, they win the Six Nations two years running after this. It all builds up to Chicago and obviously Chicago and then a week after getting the shit kicked out of them by New Zealand. Yeah. Not on but the scoreboard, was... literally getting the shit kicked out of them. <laughs> getting beaten. To... But you look at it and you look at the players that 
Murray was immense in this game. Fucking uh, Sean O'Brien was immense in this game. Gordon Darcy. Remember how like he was massively overrated for almost the entirety of his career because he had the good fortune to stand next to Brian O'Driscoll? <laughs> not that day. Not that. He was fucking everywhere. He put himself about in defence today. It, it was, was like the yeah. best game of his career and probably one of the best like, performances of an Island 12 in recent years. It was amazing. but And it's full of the kind of heartbreak, isn't it? Sexton. Well, this that... game is all about the end isn't it yes. Sexton missing that kick 73 minutes a very kickable kick that would have made yeah. it, made them 8 points clear so yeah. matter what New Zealand did it probably wouldn't have been enough you just had that, that feeling in your stomach like the weird thing the about that kick as well when you good. watch it and maybe Ireland listeners will remember this is that to all the world it looks like it's gone over going over and then it doesn't it's somehow done. It's it's that's bang horrible. on that's fine oh oh hang on no it's missed it's <laughs> And I mean, tra- there's a lot of hot takes as I'm saying that he'll never get over that Johnny Sexton stuff. And I think maybe for yeah. a day or two he didn't, but no, obviously he, he has. He turned all out right all right, now. didn't yeah. it? But the thing I'd forgotten about this, and, and Ireland fans won't appreciate us dwelling on the the try, but we kind of have to. Yeah. Obviously, it's Crotty scored it, but mm-hmm. who's there dummying, stepping inside, and then offloading for Crotty to score? I can't a, remember. Go on. A young bloody Dane Coles, that's who, showing his <laughs> Hollywood tendencies right from the... And end. also that try, you know, it's Ian Madigan, or Ian Madigan, as you would call him. Ian Madigan yes. had come on. Yes. And Tommy Bow pushed inside to help with the tackle on Coles. Yes. And then also Madigan pushed inside to, on the same tackle, even though he was the outside no. defender, oh, leaving no. the channel open for Crotty to run in. And then, of course, there was this... The, the, this ridiculous retaken conversion. Oh, well, before we even get there, the right. worst part of the whole thing... After they score and there's there's a celebration, it cuts to a wide shot and there's some I can't I couldn't make out the number, but there's an Irish player who's on his hands and knees in the in goal area, like facing towards where the ball has been touched down, and he just looks up and like sees the all black celebrating like six feet away and his head just sort of <laughs> drops into the turf, and he just stays there on his hands and knees with his head... Because that's drawn it level to try, of course, isn't it? So they're not yeah, going to win from there, you know? And, like, they all look devastated, but, like, everybody else is sort of gathering himself. But whoever this is, is just down there for a good 30 seconds. Just the death is horrible. <laughs> the desolation of just, like, you can feel it. He's given everything. And they've come up short, and it's so oh, fuck, it's rough. But yeah, the so that touchdown conversion. brings it to twenty-two all. There's a conversion quite close to the touch, the left-hand touchline for Aaron Cruden to take, um, who's not renowned as you know, he's not a bad no. kicker, but he's not renowned as, as slotting him from the touchdown the last minute sort of thing, and it certainly isn't now anyway. So I completely he can't swing his leg with all that money in his pocket, but he's um, <laughs> I'd completely forgotten that it had to be retaken, like. I remember it going over, but I'd forgotten all of the fucking nonsense. <laughs> it's kind of comical because obviously you can't move forward to chase down a kick until the kicker moves forward. And he doesn't yeah. move at all. And like about 10, like charge of the light brigade, Irish yeah. players come <laughs> running at him. And, and he just, just and he doesn't, to have a pop. He, he doesn't yeah. move. He just kind of stands there. Just, what the fuck are you lot doing? <laughs> but what makes me laugh is, right, he is so far away. Why are you bothering expand? I know there's a part yeah. of, well, at least if it maybe puts him off, but honestly, yeah. why are you even bothering? Because he got his eye, because he did kick it, didn't he? And he just and he pushed got his it eye right. Yeah. I thought, all oh, right, I know what I need to do now. Yeah. Exactly. It was like the worst thing they could have done. Oh, it was horrible. But, you know, it was important. It was hugely important from an Irish point of view. Yes. Because it... Because that was no fucking dickhead New Zealand side. Fuck no, that was a brilliant New Zealand and side. And they, were, they, they hadn't lost all year, had they? So it meant a no. hell of a lot to them. Yeah, and they refused to be beaten. 
They find and so many ways to win, don't they? Even making they the opposition miss quite easy kicks. You know, it's, <laughs> it's baffling how that happens. But it was a lesson from an Irish point of view that they couldn't, and they, you know, they turned around a few years later. And, and we and can physically compete they, with them. We're, we're, we're powerful yeah, we enough. We're with dynamic them. We can't enough. let them fucking hang around, and we can't give them an opportunity to win it at the death. And but we can live with their pace as well. Do you know what I mean? Was, even yeah, though they lost, yeah. we can live with them. We can we can operate at their level of performance, sort of thing. Mm. Which is a uh, which is that. So yeah. So sorry, Island fans. Uh, obviously, hat tip, honourable mention to the Chicago win because that was yeah. a fantastic win. Yeah. But um, this, this is the one that game, sticks in the memory. And there is. I'm not trying to do. This down is the game Chicago. that started your fucking. This is the game that started your ascendance to the very top of world rugby. So yes. I'm sure it fucking hurts. Well, caveat, you know, asterisk apart from New Zealand. But yeah. Yeah. But like. <laughs> That's always you know, the case, though. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But this was the moment where it all started and where it all began. And like. And, and, the, and I think it's easy to underestimate how rough Ireland looked in yeah. the first half of 2013. They really yeah. did look rough. Yeah. This was. They've never really looked back since this moment. They've always been. They've always had something about them ever since. I mean, they're thereabouts. Yeah. Yeah. Um, right then. So that's number four, that was, Josh. Acast recommends podcasts we love. Changemakers is a new podcast series with me, Claire McKenna, talking to people who stand up, speak out, or challenge us to think a little differently. It's about the greater good, families and children, respecting their own individuality. In the next couple of years, like I hope I never have to have conversations about racism ever again. Like, I just want to get to the stage where, you know, people are just people. Nobody's pooling the resources together and actually being able to show how much of an impact it will make when people do come together. Changemakers with Claire McKenna. Search for it now wherever you get your podcasts. Acast is home to the world's best podcasts, including the David McWilliams podcast, I'm Grandmam, and the one you're listening to right now. Five. Yes. Which is Scotland's Australia wins. Well, I was reminded, I, I'd forgot, 2009 was not good for rugby, was it? Well, for we were, the point I'd like to make, first of all, the reason why I want to mention Scotland's Australia wins before we get into 2009 <clears> is that eight Earth years separate these wins. One in 2009, yes. one in 2017, but about 59 light years separate them and in terms the thing, of the competence of performance. When, when I was looking back at this and how fucking... Diff, like This was like a none more Scotland in the 2000s performance. It was like, even though they were, I'm sure you enjoyed the win, Scotland fans, but honestly, it was hatefully shit and negative as a game. And you were just not, it's not your fault. It's Andy Robinson's. It's what he does. But <laughs> Phil, Phil Godman, come on. Dark, like, dark Godman dark. days. Like it was just this bloody minded defensive resilience. Like none, it was Scotland, everything that Scotland used to be, like bloody minded, defensively resilient, good goal kicking relentlessly negative, mauling everything, swirling winds, putting opposition kickers off. Just, they got stuck uh, in, though. They frustrated the fuck they out got, of Yeah, Australia. they were fucking yeah. niggly and they were hard, but, like, it had all the attacking verve and vavavum, a pile of sheep shit, let's be honest. It was just fucking horrible. And and then you look at the when they win, when Scotland, when Gitto misses that conversion and they win, the, cl- the crowd are fucking delirious. And fair enough. They hadn't beaten them in 30 years, but it just no, shows them that's how the things have changed. Fair enough, since. that's the end of it, yeah. Compared to, like, well, 
would there be dancing in the scat in the stands today and wild celebrations if Scotland beat Australia in a game like that today? I think they'd still be celebrating, but it wouldn't be. They'd quite be celebrating. You'd be happy. It's that thirty years of hurt thing. So I mean, yeah, I, that you know, line, yeah. expectations have moved on. The game has moved on. Would like you be I, dancing up and down if you beat Australia nine eight in November? I with would a missed now conversion? because it's <laughs> yes. been because there's so much fucking baggage. But like a couple of years ago, whenever it was, or a year ago. When Wales beat South Africa in one of the most hateful games of rugby ever, I was there. Yeah, you and were, there was, yeah. There was nothing. Like, when you've been good and when you've had success and when you've seen a team play well, beating a bad team by playing almost as badly as they are, there's very little upside beyond mild relief at the end, mm. you know? And I, I think that's what it would be like now. And it just shows, like, what a difference eight years makes. Fucking Vern Cotter should use footage from this game and then the one in, and then the one in fucking uh, last year, twenty seventeen, yeah. just as a fucking CV forever, because he's the reason why this happened. Like without him, the miserable shit continues. The miserable fucking horrendous Frank Haddon, Andy Robinson, Scott Johnson misery is is just you know. And that obviously Townsend has sort of taken it on again, but he is basically the. Th- thing that transforms the mindset the ethos the spirit and then it comes to fruition in 2017 against australia when they fucking batter them in a totally different way yes uh we did sorry to go back to the island game a minute i didn't do the would you rather have them in your team now because it's mostly the same kind of team o'connell's gone obviously yeah madigan's gone but generally speaking i don't think there's much worth going over yeah scotland in 2009 this should be a good game i'm not scottish (laughs) but let's just have a look at this Fullback, Rory Lamont. No. No. Wing, Sean Lamont. No. No. Outside centre, a person called Grove, who I can't actually remember. <laughs> I don't remember no, him. Probably not. Probably would have been Hugh Jones, to be honest. I, don't, I wouldn't have thought so, Unlikely. given that I can't remember him. No. Unlikely. Uh, Graham Morrison at 12. No. no. Uh, God, Graham Morrison, man. Simon Danielli on the other wing. Oh, definitely not. No. Phil Godman. Over the yeah, over Finn God. or anyone really? Yeah, I wouldn't have Newcastle's, Phil Godman over a disused sort of burnt out brazier. At Newcastle's Phil Godman, Chris Cusseter. Oh, see now, I don't think he, I think he's 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 as good as if not than Ali Price and Green. Yeah, yeah, I'd have I'd take Chris Cusseter to be honest. Yeah. I, thought, I, I I always had a lot of time for him. Alan Jacobson, Ross Ford, still there. Moray Low. No. No, not really. Not ahead of Nell. Low no. ahead of Nell. No. No. Lou said Daryl Marfo, the coming man. I quite like Alan no. Jacobson just from a comedy point of view. Yeah. <laughs> funny to be fair. But it gets a bit better as you move further back, actually. Nathan Hines, Ali Kellogg. Wouldn't take him over the Greys, though, would you? No, same. Um, Strokosh, John Barkley, Beatty. Strokosh was bog standard when he blessed Strokosh was incredibly average. <laughs> He's very bold, but incredibly average. You know, Barkley um, still, you know, Barkley's still there. He? Would have him over him. I would have him then over him now, probably from a fitness point probably. of view. But I think he's a better player. Well, now you're stamped on the Mishit territory here, aren't you? You'd yeah, have him at I'd six, wouldn't you, in the Mishit? I tell you what, seven. I think he's a better player now than he was. He's, he's a player who's got much better as he's got older, I think. But anyway, yeah. There you go. So Scotland in 2017, which we're not going to do the team thing because it is the same thing. So yeah, then we get to 2017, Mm. which is, by all accounts, an absolute and total paddling 
a tonking well, of biblical proportions. It's arguably modern Scotland's best performance, you know, in terms of just the, the Wallabies didn't help themselves going down to 14 after 20 minutes, obviously. But you can only beat what's in front of you, and you can. And only... how many times have we said in the past couple of years that going down to fourteen isn't necessarily? It's not. As, there's been too many good they, results. They kept it very tight and close until well into the second half, and then all of a sudden Scotland uh, just click, and they just start scoring tries for absolute fun. With just it was so much like Byron McGuigan looking like a fucking international player for. He looks amazing, years. didn't he? Yeah, God bless him. He should have retired immediately. And of course, you forget. I forgot. I'd forgotten until I went back and remember that Hogg got injured in the warm-up for this game, didn't he? He did. So yeah. Long goes in at fullback. It but was yeah. such a such a weird one, and such a like like you say, players that you know maybe Byron McGregor will have a fucking long and successful international career, but it doesn't really seem like it. Hmm. It was just a perfect storm of a game where everything that Vern Cotter and and Gregor Townsend between them had kind of tried to instill into the Scotland team over the years, just kind of clicked. And it was, they were fantastic and wonderful. And And it was a proper Australia team as well. Oh, fuck yeah. They're not in great form, but it was a proper set of players. Yeah, well, they were good enough to beat Wales. So uh, obviously everyone is. So yeah, a tale of two Scotland wins Mm. is number five against Australia, 2009 and 2017. Number six, what I'm I'm titled into the home straight now. You'd be glad to hear. Mm, I'm titling yeah. um, this one. Number six is New Zealand in 2004. There's a couple of games here. Yes, I mean Wales v New Zealand 2004 is horrible. From remind everybody what the score was. <sighs> Do I have to? Well, yes, because otherwise people won't remember it. Then they'll, they'll wonder <laughs> what we're talking about. <laughs> okay, uh, it was 26-25 to New Zealand. Uh, She's the closest wow. Wales have come in my lifetime uh, to beating the All Blacks um, and probably the best chance they'll ever have um, to do it, to be honest. Um, it's it's such a bittersweet game because it was the closest we've come, obviously, but it's the first time I really thought that Wales might be a bit different to what had come before because obviously this was 2004. This was pre-Grand Slam. But this Wales team played well against this All Blacks team. <laughs> Like hmm. Stephen Jones's cross kick or kick like kick pass, we call it in stupid 2018 terminology, I guess. Uh, set up Tom Shanklin in the corners, one of my favourite things he ever did. Uh, the All Blacks were the All Blacks. They came back, they attacked. But when the ball got broken up in broken play and the game got loose and you thought, oh, fucking hell, here we go, from a Wales fan point of view. They didn't. They didn't capitulate. They put pressure on the All Blacks. Uh, they, they, you know, Henson, if had a, couple of kicks that went over that brought them to within a point. Um, he had a penalty that hit the post that would have given us the win. It was huge. And even though we lost, it really laid the foundation for what came um, in the Six Nations two months later. You know, the biggest surprise but, about this game is for me. What? Gareth Clewellyn is still playing for Wales. It's remarkable, isn't it? It's he starts this game. I know. 79-year-old Gareth Clewellyn partnered with Brent Cobain. I know. It's mad, isn't it? But... The reason that we got close was because this was an All Blacks team that was supposed to be in transition because this is like, this tour is effectively the moment where the All Blacks begin their reign as the most dominant team in the history of Rugby Union. True, because yeah. I think most people know the story of how the All Blacks became the All Blacks in, you know, as we know them now. Like, they get hammered, what is it, 40-26 by the box in 2004, uh, and the events after that game, which features like 
players' courts and so much drinking that one of the coaches thinks he's dying. <laughs> and the Springboks players have to put the all-black players into like the recovery position because they're passed out all over the fucking hotel floor. Unacceptable. Um, yeah, they well, say. It's, the, it's, it's, it's the birth of what's known in polite circles as the all-black 24-7 concept or in more realistic terms, the no-dickheads rule, which is... <laughs> is an, um, Apart from Aaron Smith, is the exception. But well, that's the thing. No, they have one marquee player and go above the salary cap. He's, he's the, <laughs> one there's, there's one dickhead. One dickhead. Yeah. Well, there's always dickheads, but the interesting thing, I, I've forgotten all about this, but Graham Henry was in his first season with the all-blacks at this point. And like the John Mitchell insane, and look forward to that, by the way, England fans, the John Mitchell <laughs> insane partying and drinking culture was very much in effect. And so basically Henry McCaw and a few more of the senior players, basically when they got to New Zealand, were like, look, we need to start taking this fucking seriously. So they banned binge drinking. They banned fucking bringing girls back to the hotel. They fucking got rid of basically the players that they thought were the ringleaders and the players that were going to cause like the booze culture. To, so Andrew Mertens was gone. Justin Marshall was gone. Carlos Spencer was gone. They were all out of the All Black squad and they never came back. Mm. And they created this so idea. So was Lau La La, but for different reasons. <clears throat> yes. But um, although he played in this game, um, the idea was... After this, this game, I meant, yeah. Yeah. The new generation of this All Blacks would come through who would like respect this new sort of this incredibly fucking worthy leave the jersey in a better place thing and so he handed, it? <laughs> well, he handed over the future of the all blacks graham graham henry basically mccall got graham henry to go i know you're a fucking control freak mate but here's this 10-man senior leadership group of players like fucking mccall and tanaru maga and Mulyaina and players like this who, who bought into it and he said let us be be the fucking watchdogs let us look after ourselves let us set the tone and nobody knew if it would work. And nobody, and they went into this autumn tour having dropped all these senior players and nobody knew if it was going to be that good. And they obviously they squeaked past Wales. Yes. And, you know, they, they had a grant. And next up, they had France. Which is the second of, game we're going to talk about, yeah. Is the, it, France in front of 8,000 so yeah. Grand Slam champions France. Like, this fucking France team was good. They'd won the Slam in 2004. They had... Clermont Poitrino, the team that started against the All Blacks, Poitrino, Rougerie, Michelac, Harry Nordeke, Oliver Magne, Serge Betson, Fabian Palouse, William Servat, Sylvia Marquet, it was, it was Yannick Josion, Christophe Dominici. Terrifying fuck. pack. Imagine that yeah. pack now. Oh, man. Yeah. And they smashed Australia the week before. And But then you look at the All Blacks team that they fielded that day that was considered experimental. And you go, 15, Mills Mulyaina. Not 14, Dougie Howlett. He's all right. 13, the first time on an All Blacks tour for Conrad Smith. <laughs> 12, Tanru Maga. 11, Joe Rokotoko. 10, young Dan Carter. 9, Byron Kelleher. 8, Ronnie Soyolo. 7, Richie McCaw. 6, Jerry Collins. 5, Norm Maxwell. 4, Chris Jack. 3, Carl Heyman. 2, Anton Oliver. And 1, Tony Woodcock. And then on the bench, you've got Kevin Mialamu, Greg Somerville, Ali Williams, uh, Piri Wipu. Uh, Aaron Major and Marnonu. When those packs ran into each other, they did not sort of like rip a hole in the space. Literally time just explode. <laughs> but the thing was, this was expected to be a massive test for the All Blacks, and they were probably expected to lose. And what was the and score? They <laughs> fucking battered them. The final score was forty-five-six. Yeah. 
and that New Zealand pack was like a threshing machine. Well, it was the pace, the pack, the, like they they emptied the bench at fifty six minutes, right? Fifty six minutes, so fifteen minutes into the second half, the bench comes on and they take the foot off. The score at that point was thirty eight six. Can you imagine? It could have been fifty sixty, however much they. <laughs> it could wanted. have been like that semi final of the World Cup. Well, yeah, they and. <laughs> They bullied and out. The, the best thing about it was they not only they bullied France, but they outthought France in every facet of the game. And it was basically a horrible teaser of everything that they were going to go do to the Lions in two thousand and five. Um, mm. But it was a statement. It was yes, this All Blacks twenty four seven thing works if they take this shit seriously. If they and that's sacrifice, why everybody's brushing up all the time now. Yeah, that's why. But if they take it, that's why take, like. Third teams in fucking West Wales are all banging on about culture and, and brushing exactly. up changing rooms and shit. Yeah, because they realised that if they sacrificed the extracurricular shit and they focused with this near-religious salutary on the idea of being an all-black, they'd be the best team in the world, and they were. And what's really interesting for me when you think about it is, like, all of these, none of these players were nightmares when they were all-blacks. But then, like, you look at that fucking team, like... Jerry Collins liked to drink. Yep. Mills Muliaina liked to drink. Like Ali Williams. These, Ali Williams liked, liked some other drink. stuff. Liked a lot of interesting, <laughs> like a lot of things. Piri Weepu liked food. Um, yes. He liked to drink drinks. food. Probably. <laughs> yeah. Well, but we've discussed the grease thing. Um, <laughs> but all of these players, they sacrificed everything for being an all-black. And the second that they weren't all-blacks anymore, they just went back to how they were before. And they got on the fuck... Because so powerful was this notion that they created of being an all-black, of this fucking all-blacks 24-7 thing, that it became this fucking mantra that the second that they were out of that environment and you took the all-black away from it, it was fucking on the fucking booze boys. It's... It's a weird one. I... I don't want to sort of overstate the case here, but it does feel like that was kind of the tour and the moment that established the... And I think people, when they signed those players, like we put London Welsh, thought that's what you were getting. Yeah. Oh, God, it'll be enough to keep us up, because look at him. And then, of course, he turns up, he's like, I'm not with the All Blacks anymore. I'm going to exclusively wear stretchy trousers for the next two years, and we're (laughs) going to be eating a lot of pizza. So just get it ready. Well, Jerry Jerry Collins was fucking amazing for the Ospreys. He was on one long, extended, slightly boozy holiday the whole time he was over. he He was literally in, and you can talk to anybody who lived in Swansea or around Clandarcy at that point when he was there, he was an incredible bloke and a lovely bloke and always bought the beers for everyone. But that's because he was in there at fucking two o'clock on a fucking Wednesday afternoon and there wasn't a lot of people in the fucking pub. You know, he <laughs> loved to drink and he was a fucking, he was the life and soul of the party and a great bloke and I loved him to bits. But I want a player fuck- and God rest his soul. Absolutely. But he, you know, he wasn't doing that. He wasn't fucking in the pub every day when he was a fucking All Black. No. You know? They'd have found out <laughs> and he'd have been dropped. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, you look at players like... And it still happens, you know, players like Israel Dagg getting fucking caught out boozing the night before the World Cup final or, you know, it just still happens. There, as you said, there is the occasional dickhead rule, but there's a... Israel Dagg, I, of course, he had the ball bounce off his chest to Rob Carney in 2013. That was, a, that yes. was, that was him as well. It was, yeah. 
but yeah, that was kind of like, that always struck me as like not only a couple of very you know from a Wales fan's point of view, kind of a bittersweet start of something fun, but also last best chance we ever got to beat the fucking guys. But also from a New Zealand point of view, the start of where everything yeah you know they turning into the fucking Death Star effectively. But also the beginning of two thousand and five for Wales. It's funny, yeah, enough, it's quite yeah, a it's seminal a sort of, of game for everyone. Weird there. synergy thing there, yeah. Of course, that Wales team is not that dissimilar to the, like, 2005, but Tom Shanklin's in there. Yeah. Uh, Super Gavin's in there. Super Gavin Hansen. Uh, Dwayne Peel's in this team. Yes. Good player. You'd have him in now, wouldn't you? Yeah, I'd have Dwayne Peel now. Oh, Gethin. Geth, obviously, forever. In any I'd position he wants to play I'd, in. I'd have Geth in now if he's free, you know. Mevin, I piss live on television, Davis. <laughs> remember that one? Those don't remember. Yeah. He was caught on camera at Gloucester's ground, was he? Having One's a piss in the cubicle. That ever happened. Yeah. This is why TV should stay out of the changing room. Because Mevin Davis is pissing in there. Yeah. Adam is at Adam, Adam is at there. tight head. It's the, it's the start of that Grand Slam front row of Mevin, Geth, and Adam yeah, Jones. Of course, yeah. David Jones at six, smashing oh everything he moves. David Jones with a young Ryan Jones on the bench alongside Martin Williams and Gareth Cooper and Kerry Sweeney and Reese Williams. And a man who I don't... Who the fuck was Steve Jones? I'm assuming he's a prop and he played for the Dragons. No. He must have... R. Jones for the Ospreys. Was he a prop or a hooker? R. Jones for the Ospreys is Ryan Jones. Oh, of course it is. Sorry. So Steve Jones must be a hooker, I'm guessing. Steve Jones, Steve Jones is a hooker, and I he played for the Dragons. And no, I no, genu- no memory. Of genuinely, that have no memory of him. What's funny is this is 2004, and it quite clearly says he plays for Dragons, not Newport Gwent Dragons. People must have been yeah. fucking apoplectic yeah. at, the, at that. <laughs> the Brent, as we mentioned, the Brent Cobain, Gareth Llewellyn, Lock Axis. Yes, Gareth Llewellyn, man. Weird. He must have been just pushing weird. 40 at this point. I know I tend to overstate these things, but he must have been. Well, Gareth, he's 49 now. No, no, so, no, no, so not 40, 35 then. Oh, that's not too Yeah. About Alan Wynn's age, isn't it? He must have been playing for... He was playing for Bristol or something by this point, though. He was playing for Narbonne. Was he really? Yeah. Oh, fucking hell. Loving it down France. Well, fair play to him. Just a Trivia weird... about Gareth Clewellyn, most capped Welsh player never to get a Lions tour. That sort of fits, doesn't it? It does kind of fit. And you think about the year he played in. Yeah. Just... But yeah. But weird... I have like visions of Gareth Llewellyn paying in like massive cotton shirts with only white collars and no stripes on it and no and just, you know, that kind of classic eighties period. Because that's probably I mean, when he started, wasn't it? Because he was capped quite yeah. early, wasn't he? <laughs> he definitely did do a bit of that. And obviously there was a fair bit of like crossover with the nineties, I guess. Yeah, it must have been. Anyway. We move on from that, the, the start of two, sort of, I don't know, well, definitely a dynasty with New Zealand, and more of a mini-series with, with Wales, four yeah, episodes, so, and by like, the end you're left unsatisfied by the conclusion. Yeah, basically the first season of True Detective, you know, <laughs> yes. it's like, it's really good, it's really exciting, it's really well done, it ended a little bit badly, and what came afterwards was fairly fucking dreadful, to be honest. Didn't even so, watch season two, wasn't terrible. interested. Terrible, absolutely terrible. And last, and by no means least, is a bit of indulgence from my point of view, is we go back to 2012, to England versus the All Blacks. Or should I say, I think versus is probably understating it, England's triumphant defeat. 
this over the All Blacks. Win over the All Blacks. Let me say this day, and I'm not kidding you. This is one of the most miserable fucking days of my entire fucking life. Let me set the scene. It's the 1st of December 2012, which a ridiculous time to be playing international rugby, by the way. That's, that's another matter entirely. Um, I'm heading to the Millennium Stadium to watch Wales versus Australia. Oh, that's not a good year to go. Wales, Wales won a Grand Slam nine months previously. Six-match losing streak now, uh, enjoying our <laughs> first taste of Rob Holy's ineptitude. Uh, we lost to Argentina and Samoa at home that autumn. Um, they needed a win desperately to avoid pot three for the to Rugby World Cup in 2015, the pool of death thing. How did that, that go? I have no win. memory of how that went. No, uh, they lost seven on the bounce to Australia. They were desperate. And then in classic Wales style, we controlled the game for roughly 79 minutes. Uh, and then they switched off in the last second. Curtly Beale ran at the touchline, uh, scored in the corner to contend Wales to defeat. Um, and in the process, caused Lee Halfpenny to get what looked like a pretty serious and scary neck injury. So like, I've got a thing, right? I won't leave a game until it was over. And like... Yeah, that's why we go and watch sport because if you fuck off early, you're robbing yourself of something potentially magical happening. Yes. Like, but the game had ended, but it hadn't. The conversion needed to be taken, but Lee Halfpenny's fucking lying prone on the floor, surrounded by doctors. It's horrendous. Nobody knows if he's okay or not. He hadn't moved, and so the game wasn't over. So I sort of I stayed there in my seat uh, in the North Stand of Millennium Stadium, and I. I, it was so, I've never heard it so quiet in there. We were just, it was this weird fucking living death of a rugby game where the game's over. We know we've lost. We haven't actually, it hasn't happened yet. And we all just sit there fucking numb, like watching these fucking, war. <laughs> but we're watching these doctors tend to leave off and everybody's just sitting there, just numb. Nobody moving, nobody talking, just like waiting for the other fucking shoe to drop. What must have been like 15 minutes and then. And the doors fire sit, up. Oh, this is the end. <laughs> we're, sit, we're sitting there, you know, it's 15 minutes. It feels like hours have gone by. It's just silence. Everybody's just sort of looking at their hands and like, it's like a wake. And then my mate Hugh gets his phone out, sat next to me and puts it away again. And then without even looking up from the floor, just sort of turns to me and says, and England have fucking beaten the All Black. Scene. <laughs> 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 End scene. Ah, that's amazing. <laughs> Don't stop believing. Just like sitting there watching one of the Wales's best players get carted off the field with a serious neck injury, and then fucking it comes through that you. I don't know about you, ladies and gentlemen, but I'm I'm on my feet applauding that monologue. I've almost honestly, I feel moved. Can I just say you lost it. you lost an Australia team that day that had Nick Phipps at nine and Gertley Beale at ten. They were dog shit, and they did not deserve to win at all. But we just fucking switched off, and it was hideous anyway. So this can we go the, back to the game where yes. England win? <laughs> the, the Manu Myth game. The most damaging and insidious of all England rugby maladies. This was the game where the Manu Myth was formed. Yes. And this glorious... Although, well, you know, he well, was incredible. He, yeah, and uh, this was kind of Lancaster's dream realised after the trick, you know, after the dwarf tossing... And all the horribleness of 2011. And uh, Stewie comes in, brings players through, puts mm-hmm. up posters about character and being a proper kind of northern man. He spent <laughs> he spent weeks doing the northern man stance in the in the stands with yeah, his leg up, yeah. leaning on it and stuff. 
And it's easy to forget that um, England came second in the Six Nations yeah. on points of effectively. In 2013, after this, in 2013, 2014, and 2015, he got to a fairly consistent level of performance <laughs> until he did, didn't yeah. get to a fairly consistent level of performance <laughs> and something else happened. Yeah. And then, of course, what you've got to remember is that it's, you know, it's not easy to forget this, but it's worth remembering anyway, worth remembering again. They win the Grand Slam in 2016 under Jones mm. when they finished second for the three years running up to it. And he's regarded as the One great never team. knows, do they? No. Exactly what may... You never know, do you? Because it's you no. know, they twisted rather than stuck and that was the end of it. But there is definitely an element of, you know, he loosened the jar for you, Eddie, isn't there? Sort of thing. Oh, massively so. And I mean... Like I, I, I joke about the Manu myth, but you look at it and like England thirty-eight, inc- New Zealand twenty-one was a score. Indeed, by the way. but he, he, he was incredible in this game. He was unplayable. He was world-beating. He made Marnonu have fucking fits in a way that you rarely see him do it. And because of that, like every England coach and lots of fans ever since have just been preoccupied with the notion that if they can just get him back to fitness and form, yes. They're going to win the World Cup. Well, this is, and I've said this before, but again, it's worth saying it again. England's entire World Cup preparation fell apart because he got injured. And everyone's like, yeah. well, what the fuck are we going to do now? We have absolutely nobody yeah. else well, it was, who it was can so, do what he does. Yeah, it caused Stuart Lancaster to effectively throw the World Cup into a cocked hat on the Sam Burgess gamble. It caused Eddie Jones to repeatedly try and unearth similar players to fill the 12 shirt despite the Farrell Ford access. Axis bringing in their best success in 15 years. It's bizarre to me. Like, Mano's fucking world-class when he's fit. He's a colossus, but you can't bet the farm on him. You can't gamble on him because of everything that's happened in the last five years. And it's really interesting to me that his performance so good in this game that he's basically just kind of made every other England centre ever since be judged on that one game standard because he hasn't really had another chance in an England shirt for any period of time to be shit let's be honest because you know he's never he's never really had a chance to show that every time he pulls on an England shirt that doesn't happen of course he was playing 13 this day which is he was, again yeah. why I think he shouldn't play because Barrett was at 12 Barrett yeah. man wow who actually again looked like a world beater. I mean, there were some magnificent hot takes after this about it being the greatest yes. performance at Twickenham that anyone's ever seen. And uh, But I mean, that was um, as good as England were. It was a tired New Zealand team, that. They looked tired. Yeah, that was probably Dan Carter's worst ever game. However, if you look at... Um, <coughs> if you look at six years on now, you can see why... You look at that Ashton try in that game, the Chris Ashton try in that game off the in that game off the it comes off the top of the line out, it goes to Manu, who does that like outside arcing run mm. and then smashes some people. And Ashton drifts off his right wing and appears in the perfect position to run it in. Even six years later, you can see where Eddie Jones is going, I want them two in my squad and I want them both fit. Because nobody the- can do that, those what those two do. They what they just no. won't do it. I was, it's really interesting. You look at that squad and you look at the players that are effectively still in their prime but have been essentially discarded or have been sort of picked with fucking reluctance since. You know, Alex Good was 15 that day. If you look at this, I mean, if you look at this backline, to be honest, there's a lot of people out there who will say Alex Good at fullback, Chris Ashton, Manu Tualangi, Brad Barrett, 
Mike Brown on the other wing. Mm. Farrell he and Ben. Good that game, though. He was the Farrell and Ben Youngs in the back. Would anybody argue with that <coughs> back line? Right, I mean Youngs is what he is, but nobody's going to argue with that back line now, are they? No, six the only, years the on. Only, the only player that you know people would question is fucking Barrett, and that's because he's old. Like every all the rest of them, they and you know. Jonathan I think Barrett's Jones, a better player now than he was then. I think if you Barrett, Barrett mistake. certainly Barrett of two years ago is better than Barrett of twenty twelve was absolutely. Yeah. And you look at, you know, Joe Launchbury was fucking incredible in this game. It was this kind of coming of age series, this, yeah. wasn't it? And now he's kind of, you know, there's a sense that he's, he's, his face doesn't fit. Jonathan Joseph came off the bench in this game. He's kind of been like, you know, there's a sense that... Makova Napola came off the bench. Makova Napola came off the bench, got sent off. David uh, Pace came off the bench. <laughs> Yeah, that's a baffling one, isn't it? David, the shagged out Bagpuss Wilson, was still around and came yeah. off the bench. <laughs> but Farrell at 10 as well. You know, how many times has fucking Eddie Jones tried his absolute damnedest to not play Farrell at 10? And who replaced Farrell on 64 minutes? Those of you who don't remember, a certain Mr. Frederick Burns <laughs> came on at 64 minutes. Freddie Burns slotted a few penalties wow. towards it, uh, slots a few kicks towards the end as well. Yeah, I mean, it's still... It's weird, isn't it? But in a way, this... Again, Rock this seemed like a realisation of everything that um, he was trying to achieve. Lancaster yeah, this, was, this was England are going to win the World Cup. And he seemed to know. have found players who wanted to play for him and were able and had some physical presence about them and a little bit of something. Farrell was becoming a kind of... A player that, well, I suppose we all still want him to be and is now... And it is just, and then it, and it, and the thing is, it's easy to think that it stopped in 2012. It didn't. No. You know, they were still building and performing. Because I remember when you, I think one of the episodes we did not long ago, when England were doing okay, and you were saying, they don't look that different to the Lancaster team, though, do they? And you're an outsider looking I think it was, I think it was when they, we first started this podcast, which would have been shortly after Rugby World Cup 2015, wouldn't it? It would have been. It was round about that time. So I think that first when six Jones, nations, it was like, do they look that different? Yeah, like they're the same fucking team. They're just not playing as well. Like at that time, they and when they went to Australia, that was the first time that they'd looked like they'd looked as good as they did when they were playing. You know, in the 2015 mm. Six Nations, say, you know, they were really good up until then. They were fucking, they were sure shit beating Wales for fun, and yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Yeah, of so course. It was a, I mean, that, you know. that New Zealand team, Dag, Corey Jane, Conrad Smith, Mar Nono, Julian Savia, Carter, Aaron Smith, Woodcock, Mialamo, Owen Franks, Retallick, Whitelock, Liam Messam, McCaw, Kieran Reid. I mean, it's not a fucking Muggs team. Absolutely not. A long it, way from it. It was, a, it, was quite a, it was a bit of a transition team, wasn't it? Because it was a team that, you know, some of those players would not be around for the World Cup. Hmm. But and still. they'd get replaced, but a lot of them would be. A lot of them would be. All the key constituent parts would be, certainly. Yes. Yeah, so there you go. Our little seven at trot of seven games. It's fun, that. A I rugby that. seven, yes. We'll do this again, not every week. We'll obviously go back to after the Autumn Internationals reviewing. We've got Mike Bubbins coming on soon as well. So we've got a few things happening. Uh, by the way, I fully expect the full torrent of I cannot believe you didn't mention insert game here when you did your rugby seven so please feel free to get in touch with us and tell us all about what you thought australia new australia versus wales 2013 probably good game enjoyed it <laughs> i went to that game yeah 
Quade Cooper was magnificent. Yeah, Wales were not. No, that was. Uh... I remember being at that game. I'm not going to talk about. It. I remember the game. I was in the crowd, and I remember going, "Why do Wales keep shifting the point of attack twelve meters from the rook <laughs> every single time? Oh. Every single that was that was like peak sort of what's Gatlin going to do now? Period. Because whatever he was doing wasn't working. I genuinely there were so many times, and I fully expect to be donning those rags of fucking anger in a very short amount of time again when when we do it again this autumn but the number of time the number of ways i've watched wales lose to fucking australia i said robbie owen that texas said uh, i said he's got some memories of the ultimate and ashes robbie owen said when wales lost to australia i said which when was that and he said in about two weeks time <laughs> well yeah exactly Thank exactly. you. I did put this out on Twitter, so thank you all for the people who did uh, suggest some stuff and we picked yes. up some of it and not some, some of it we'd already got covered and stuff. So thanks very much. I hope you've enjoyed this because everyone will be doing previews and everyone will be talking about the weekend, so it's just a little bit of something else for your podcast listening this week. And we'll be in touch soon. Thank you very much. Take care. Goodbye. See ya. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.